2: What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at San Diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.
3: As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner.
2: Jean! Gene. Gene Fodor! Jean, Gene was good!
0: Hello and welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Annie Reese. And uh, today we're talking about rice. Yeah. We're talking so much about rice.
1: It's a massive topic.
0: We're not talking enough about rice.
1: Yeah. Because it's too massive. It's so big. We really could have broken it down into like rice in China, rice in Japan. It's a huge undertaking. And I just got back from a trip and I have to say this was... Quite the topic to come back to. Yeah, sorry about that. That's, that's, that's my bad.
0: <laughs> I was like, well, do something
1: easy like rice. What, what could possibly go wrong? Oh, nothing. There was <laughs> so much science words and terms that I had to look up, like call year BP, which that's... is calcium year before physics.
0: Calendar year?
1: Calendar. I say calcium year. <laughs> That's what I took from it. Uh,
0: yeah, it's a date term that, that means, uh, before physics. So therefore, uh, it, the calendar starts in 1950 and, uh, goes back or, you know, 1950 CE by hour. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit more of a sciencey way of putting things, which yeah. I appreciate,
1: but. Me too, but it nearly broke my brain trying to get it all in the same time language and make <laughs> sense of everything. <laughs> Um, There's just so much. And in the episode following this one, I found even more information about rice that I didn't find when researching rice. The point being, it's a massive topic. Um, Who knew? Yeah. Not us, silly. Silly us. Everyone else knew. Uh, So, rice. Rice. What is it?
0: It's the seed of a type of grass,
1: which means it's classified as a cereal grain, like a wheat or oats or corn. Mm Mm-hmm. And some numbers for you right at the top. It's a staple part of the diet for billions of people. More than half the population get 20% or more of their daily calories from rice. For millions of people, rice provides their caloric need, which means we cultivate a lot of it. 741.5 million tons in 2014. China and India were by far the largest contributors to that number. Together, the source of 49% of the world's total rice population and over 90% is grown in Asia. Nearly one-third of the world's fresh water is used by rice farmers. It's eaten pretty much everywhere and in all kinds of ways, from Italian risotto to the Caribbean's coconut rice with beans. It's in soups. It's in casseroles. It comes with Indian food and Thai food and all kinds of food. It's good in everything for desserts to snacks. You can make
0: it into rice milk. You can make that milk into booze. You can grind rice into flour and make all kinds of
1: dough. You can make rice pudding. Yes. All rice goes everywhere. It does. (laughs) And sometimes people throw it at weddings. Mm Mm-hmm. Sometimes. There are two species of domesticated rice uh, that are grown around the world, Oriza sativa and Oriza glaberrima. Yeah, that confused me, but I believe that is correct.
0: I, I think so. It might be Oriza. But either way, um, these two species were cultivated independently from each other from two distinct wild ancestors. Uh, the differences generally are that the Asian rice types, uh, the sativa have brownish brands, um, higher crop yields, and are easier to work with. The African rice tripes, the uh have reddish brands, are sturdier, and mature a little bit more quickly. Asian rice is by far the more prevalent and has even begun replacing African rice in areas of its native West Africa because of those high crop yields. Uh, African rice is mainly grown as a subsistence crop, not as a commercial crop, and there are about 10,000 known varieties Of African rice. Mm -hmm. Within Asian rice, there are two main subspecies: the tropical region, region, Region. région, Mm. the tropical region loving indica, and the East Asian temperate subtropical climate loving
1: japonica. Yes, and within those, you've got a whole bunch of cultivars of rice, some forty thousand varieties. You've got shorter and longer grains, fragrant or aromatic rices like jasmine or bassamati, glutinous or sticky rices like those used to make porridges or flour for dumpling dough. Lots of stuff that's been specialized over the millennia. And a note here about wild rice. What we call
0: wild rice in the States are domesticated species of an entirely different genus of cereal grains, Zazania. We'll Mm. have to do a whole other episode about that stuff. Uh, Confusing the matter, yay. Uh, There are a bunch of species of Orisa rice that are not domesticated, and thus are also called wild rice. Different thing. Still interesting to scientists who are trying to suss out rice's genetics for, like, historical and crop improvement purposes. Uh, But we'll try in this episode to distinguish between non-domesticated rice
1: and wild rice. Yeah. Throughout. It It gets confusing.
0: Yes. Uh... If you've never seen rice growing, it looks like grass. It, like, have you ever let your yard grow until the grass sprouts uh, these tall stalks among the leafy blades and then there's like clusters of seeds at the tip of the stalks? If I had a
1: yard, I probably would. <laughs>
0: Oh, well, rice, rice looks like a giant version of that. Um, it grows about three to six feet tall, a.k.a. Uh, one to two meters, although that's just like the general norm. In some areas with annual flooding, rice can grow to 18 feet or six meters in height. Wow. The grains of rice themselves are encased by a tough inedible hull, and inside that you've got a, a couple fibrous layers, the bran, protecting the endosperm, which is the, the starchy food for the rice embryo, which, uh, and the endosperm um, encircles the, the proteiny embryo itself. Uh, when you leave the bran on a grain of rice, that's brown rice, and when you remove it, that's white rice. Though white can be something of a misnomer, as rice also comes in brown and red and purple and black. Rice can be convinced to grow in all kinds of conditions, from the from the wet patties to near-desert conditions. Uh, this, this is part of why it's become the staple that it has for so many cultures. And the technology to remove the hull and the bran from the grain are a serious industry. How serious? Oh, so serious. Way too serious to get into right now. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, sorry about it. Uh. <laughs> Uh, very basically, if you're going to grow rice, you, uh, you generally need a level, moist field that can be flooded with water when you want it to be flooded with water and, you know, removed. Sure. At other times. Uh, you plant the seeds in a nursery, then transplant them to the field one or two months later by hand or machine or even by airplane. Mm-hmm. About three months later, the plants will be fully grown and the grains will ripen. You harvest the stalks, again, either by hand or by um, a manual or animal-powered machine or by an electric machine, and then you thresh the grain from the stalk. What you do with the stalks, the rice straw, is also a serious matter of industry as the straw can be used to make all manner of useful woven objects. My new favorite example of this, though, is rice straw being used to make giant animal sculptures. Of course. For the past decade or so, there's been a yearly festival in Japan where art students come together to make these incredible 20-foot tall sculptures. And it's called the Wada Art Festival. Um, It's beautiful. Look it up. Oh, man, I want to. We should definitely take a field trip there next year.
1: We have so many field trips. <laughs> we really need to get a budget together.
0: Yes. Okay. All right. Anyway, uh, once you've got the grains, you dry them and remove the inedible hull. Um, and if you're creating brown rice, you're, you're basically done. If not, you go on to mill the bran off and then polish the grains. If you've ever seen white rice labeled enriched, by the way, that's an extra process. You can either, uh, steep brown rice under pressure to transfer some of the nutrients from the bran into the grain before you mill it, Or you can steep milled grains and then uh, re-dry them. Rice was one of the very first plants that humans domesticated. And our dependence on it helped us uh, refine a lot of agricultural technologies, especially processes for for moving and controlling water. And it's hard to overstate the cultural importance of rice. It's such a staple uh, that it ties into the myths and rituals and religions of, as far as I can tell, every people who have grown it. And we can't possibly include all of them in this episode, but but we're going to try to give you um, Rice's history in a nutshell. Yes. But first, we're going to give you a quick word from our sponsor.
1: This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies.
3: As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner.
0: Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it.
3: Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with.
4: So you ride the books, Gene. and have a the business. I understand now.
3: Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue.
1: So history of rice. There's a lot going on here, but <laughs> we're going to try to make our way through it. Let's yeah. start with Oriza sativa. Yeah. I said that with a question mark because the pronunciation. Oriza sativa. Somewhere around 10,000 to 14,000 years ago, the wild grass Oriza rufipogon was domesticated to get O sativa as we will call it from here on out. Or it probably was. Huh. Some argue that the annual species O Navara to O. Rufipogon's perennial species whew, could be Osativa's direct ancestor, or possibly both of them are. There's further argument about whether or not the oldest rice grains discovered in China were domesticated or cultivated or straight up wild rices, like we were talking about before, it gets confusing. Rice is so old. How old is it? Yes, I was hoping you'd do that. That there are competing theories as to its age and where exactly it can be traced to. There are a lot of competing theories. Yeah. And there has been a whole bunch of DNA research into rice's history, much of it looking at the grain size and the shattering, if you're interested in that sort of thing. Huh. Um, recent research into rice genetics suggests that possibly both aforementioned indica and japonica were domesticated in a single event in China's Pearl Valley region as far back as 8,200 or 13,500 years ago. Archaeological evidence in China, including the discovery of eight thousand possibly older year old rice growing tools and rice remains points to the middle yangtze river and the upper huai river as the earliest sites of the domestication of osativa and over the next 2000 years the practice of rice cultivation followed the path of these rivers becoming more and more widespread Okay, so there's that. In 2011, several U.S. universities came together to produce the most convincing evidence to date supporting the idea that domesticated rice has a single origin and that the Yangtze Valley in China was its birthplace. But there are other theories. There are so many other theories. (laughs) In 2003, well, a 2003 BBC article reported on the discovery of 15,000-year-old rice grains discovered in Korea, which is at odds with the generally accepted rice comes from China narrative. The assertion was met with skepticism in the scientific community, and it was sort of dismissed as a nationalistic effort. As some news from uh, from North Korea tends to be. Yes, some of it, yeah. In 2015, a Scientific Reports article proposed that many of the domesticated rice varieties grown today originated from an undomesticated strain found in Cape York, Australia. The article's authors believe that the undomesticated version is what much of the rice grown in Asia would have looked like without human intervention. Yeah. Yeah. This Cape York rice is more diverse, and the folks involved in this research hope to breed rice more adaptable to climate change and increase rice production to keep pace with population growth. Yeah. Okay, so there's that. Okay. <laughs> rice grains going back to 4000 BCE were discovered in the oldest known rice paddy located in the lower Yangtze River Valley. So for sure, for sure. Whatever else was going on. Yes. Before that, By then, rice was being cultivated in that area. The process of turning soil to mud by puddling it in order to prevent too much water from escaping and then moving the itty-bitty rice seedlings was most likely figured out in China as well. Somewhere around 3,000 to 4,000 BCE, rice traveled north to central China's Yellow River Basin. About the same time, rice also moved south to Taiwan and Vietnam. Meanwhile... (laughs) Meanwhile... Evidence of rice consumption discovered in India's Ganges Valley dates back to 7,000 to 6,000 BCE, but these grains were probably not cultivated, so found in the wild and eaten, yes, but not grown on purpose by people. The oldest evidence of that in India goes back to 3,000 to 2,500 BCE, in a region once controlled by the Indus Valley civilization. By 1,000 BCE, it was a significant crop in Sri Lanka. (sighs) Yeah, I hope you can see already why this might have been some confusing research. (laughs) Um, Some perennial wild rice dating back to 1400 BCE still grows in Assam and Nepal.
0: The spread of rice cultivation through these areas has even been proposed as a way of tracing the development and interaction of South and East Asian languages. Um, the different words that different cultural groups have for for not just rice, but rice at all stages of like planting and harvest and processing show how these peoples uh, may have uh, connected and settled. But meanwhile, meanwhile,
1: Africa's O. came into the rice scene somewhere around somewhere around between 1,800 and 800 BCE, according to rice grain impressions found in ceramic ware uncovered in northeast Nigeria, and charred rice grains nearby date back to 1,200 BCE. It's not clear whether the grains at either of these sites were domesticated and not wild, however. Clear-cut evidence of domesticated rice doesn't show up until 300 to 200 BCE in the inland Niger Delta it spread through brackish water channels, but never made it too far outside of the region. Also, locally, African rice is used to make beer. Just wanted to add that in there.
0: <laughs> beer and wine, uh, and, and distilled liquor is made by everyone who grows rice. Yeah. Essentially. Pretty much. Um, jumping ahead a bit, uh, when the Portuguese showed up in West Africa in the 1400s, uh, like, like CE, uh, they were really impressed by the rice cultivation technology
1: that they witnessed. Etymologically, African words for rice appear before words for Asian rice derived from Portuguese.
0: And by the 1600s, Asian rice had definitely made it to Africa and was being grown alongside African rice or sometimes
1: replacing African rice. Right. Alexander the Great might have maybe bought back rice from India to Greece somewhere around 344 to 324 BCE. And it spread from there to nearby areas. Archaeologists found rice grains from 100 CE-ish at Roman camps in Germany. Also in that century, O-sativa was found in a grave in Iran, and writings in China describe two different rice varieties, which we now know today to be japonica and indica. And somewhere around 2,000 to 6,000 years ago, the most commonly cited numbers are closer to 2,000. In what is now the Philippines, the Ifuga- Ifugao people carved the Banaue rice terraces into the side of the Ifugao Mountains. The UNESCO named sections of these terraces as a World Heritage Site. It is sometimes referred to as the Eighth Wonder of the World. Um And they're really beautiful and impressive. Yeah. yeah, they were built mostly by hand. They are still maintained by the Ifugao to this day, and they still use the original irrigation system. However, six years after being designated as a World Heritage Site, the terraces were added to the World Heritage Endanger list due to concerns about neglect as more farmers moved away from the region, inclement weather and soil erosion, and giant earthworms. Wait, what? Yeah, that was listed on there, giant oh. earthworms. In 2012, they were removed from the list thanks to conservation efforts. Um, and rice plays a pretty important role in Ifugao culture with harvest festivals and agricultural rights, but also to the Philippines at large. And here's a myth about the creation of rice in the Philippines at the time known as bohol. When the land of Bohol was plagued with famine, the land dry and rife with weeds, the people begged the goddess of mercy, Sapia, for relief. Sapia granted their request using drops of milk from her breast on the weeds. Nothing happened, so she asked the heavens for more milk, but instead, blood came out of her breast and onto the weeds. Hmm. To the plants, she implored them to be fruitful and feed her people. From her viewpoint in heaven, she could see the weeds produce grains, most of which were white, but some were red, depending on whether they got the milk or the blood. So the white grains being Asian rice and the red being African rice. The people were fed and they took the seeds and planted them and Sapia rejoiced. Ah. Yeah. Asian rice appeared in Europe's Iberian Peninsula in the 10th century, courtesy of the Moors. Or was it the Moops? Seinfeld joke for anyone out there. According to (laughs) records, it was grown in Valencia and Majorca, but cultivation at Majorca seems to have stopped after the Christian conquest. Historians aren't quite sure if the two things are related. Long before this... Muslims introduced rice to Sicily, and writings put it at Pisa in 1468 and in Lombard Plain in 1475, where the Duke of Milan demonstrated the cultivation of rice on his model farms to encourage people to grow it. Oh. Yeah. And then from Italy, rice traveled to France, and from there in the 15th century, thanks to exploration and imperialism, rice arrived in the New World. In Mexico and Brazil in the 1520s, Enslaved Africans are a large part of the reason rice cultivation took hold in the New World. Yeah, West Africans brought with them different rice and bean dishes from their homeland, and on the journey, enslaved Africans were fed rice, among other things. Rice was also one of the earliest crops planted in Australia with the arrival of British settlers. In the U.S., um, rice cultivation was first documented in 1685 in Charleston, South Carolina, when Captain John Thurber gave Dr. Henry Woodward a bag of rice seeds from Madagascar. Forty percent of enslaved people passed through Charleston, and West African slaves were sold at higher prices because of their knowledge of rice cultivation, which, by the way, was extremely tedious, laborious, and just all-around awful in the colonies at the time. It was a particularly unhealthy task. Um, from these slaves, rice plantation owners learned the technique of rice growing, making dikes and periodic flooding. Rice production quickly spread, and an act passed in 1695 allowed colonists to pay their taxes with certain commodities, including rice. Colonist Peter Grard (laughs) secured a patent for a rice hole-removing pendulum engine in 1691. By the time the new century rolled around in 1700, South Carolina boasted 400,000 pounds of rice exported annually. And by 1710, the colonies produced about 1.5 million pounds of rice, largely through slave labor, and 20 million pounds by 1720. Oh, wow. Yeah. Rice production in the colonies improved even further in 1750 when rice growers figured out how to use coastal rivers for flooding. And they did this with a series of gates and levees, and the techniques led to thousands of new anchors, anchors, acres, for rice cultivation. Jonathan Lucas realized that this flood water could um, serve as a double function by turning a wheel. Yeah, and in 1787, his invention, the rice mill, could mill 100 barrels of rice a day and soon was in use throughout the Carolinas, Georgia, and England. South Carolina and Georgia reached 80 million pounds of rice annually by the 1780s, half of which was exported while the other half was consumed in the U.S., Steam powers invention and the adaption in wheat roller mills to make them work with rice in the 1800s Mm -hmm. pushed production even higher. But after the Civil War and the loss of slave labor, rice plantation profit plummeted until eventually most of the plantations shut their doors. The only remaining rice plantation with the original rice mill is the Mansfield Plantation in Georgetown, South Carolina, where the African strain of rice called Carolina Gold was milled. This strain had vanished, but the USDA's Rice Research Institute in Texas preserved some seeds. And a couple of years ago, Carolina Gold became commercially available again, thanks to members of the, of course it exists, Carolina Gold Rice Foundation, and the founder of Anson Mills, Glenn Roberts. He was inspired by the growing progress made by an optometrist from Georgia who managed to procure <laughs> the seeds from the Rice Research Center and produce, at his peak, 10,000 pounds of Carolina gold, But she donated to the Savannah Association for the Blind. Huh. And this is not to be confused with Carolina brand rice, which is what I thought of at first, but carolina gold chefs rave about the taste and texture of it
0: yeah um it, it's also sometimes called red bearded rice or hill rice and it can grow without needing to be flooded and for this reason and because of the malaria carrying mosquitoes that accompanied uh, flooded rice plantations none other than thomas jefferson promoted its use what you thought we were gonna get through a whole episode without mentioning him The whole Carolina Gold story is really amazing, and it ties into uh, the the cuisine and livelihoods of of cultures around the South and the Caribbean. It warrants a whole episode unto itself, which we will have to do some other time. The
1: Rice series. Yes. I really want to try it, Carolina Gold. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't think (laughs) I've had it either.
1: Oh No. Anyway, Chinese laborers brought rice to California during the gold rush, and commercial production began in 1912. And to this day, California is the second largest producer of rice in the U.S. after Arkansas. The rice industry in the U.S. is now valued at $1.88 which is not bad. It's more than I would have guessed. Rice was around in North America before the Europeans showed up, though it was the wild rice that uh, Lauren mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. Mm zizania species. Some Native American tribes in the Upper Great Lakes area depended on wild rice so much that the region is called wild rice culture area by some ethnologists. Huh. Again, uh, more more on that (laughs) in a whole other episode. (laughs) Yes. A study published in October 2017, so very recently, put forth evidence that rice had been domesticated in a region of the Amazon way earlier than previously thought, and that wild rice was already a staple foodstuff of the indigenous South Americans before the Europeans arrived. The date they propose is, oh boy, 4,000 calendar year before physics, which I think is around 2000 BCE. No, you've totally got that right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I was staring at my computer like, uh, (laughs) why is this happening? (laughs) I really like, I like before physics. That's great. Right, yeah. Anyway, um, that's when uh, rice grains became um, larger and larger, suggesting that rice was domesticated and bred for its size. Mm -hmm. The native population would knock the rice into their canoes with sticks and it was used to make bread and beer or, you know, just for eating When the Europeans arrived, the decimation in population and introduction of Asian rice led to the gradual decline and eventual disappearance of native domesticated rice grains.
0: Uh Back in West Africa, a series of droughts starting in the 1960s reduced the number of varieties of rice grown and increased the dependence on the uh, higher-yield, faster-growing Asian rices. There's currently some concern that the cultivars of the African species might even die out, uh, which would suck for, for genetic variety and also for cultural reasons. Uh, lots of traditions link specific varieties to to religious and ancestral kind of traditions. So, so there's a push for conservation going on right now. Yeah. And, okay,
1: yeah, that was a heck of a nutshell. It was so much of a nutshell. But it brings us to our science and health segment. Mm -hmm. First, though, one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Visit pronamel.com.
2: Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach, yoga. How about a garden tour? Now Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment
4: Funds.
3: As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner.
4: Gene. Eugene Fodor. Gene, was we'll booted.
3: Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with.
4: So you ride the books, Gene, last hour on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man. a wiser woman.
3: Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue.
0: as you may have figured out by yourself already, is almost entirely carbohydrates from the endosperm uh, meant to feed the growing seed embryo. Uh, white rice is like 90% starches with the remaining 10% mostly protein and a little bit of fat. It contains very little fiber, so it doesn't really fill you up very well. Uh, brown rice contains about four times as much fiber, and it's got a little less starch and a little more fat percentage-wise. Both are a good source of a few vitamins and minerals, like manganese, Mag... mag M- manganese. Mag... Mag... mag mangan, manga, manganese. Not manga. Not manga. Different thing. That's a different... That's full of fiber, though. Uh, <laughs> let's just keep this. Uh, basically, <laughs> um, rice isn't really uh, great for you because of all that starch. And uh, you should eat brown rice instead of white when you can. But, you know, it's also generally cheap and versatile and tasty. Mm-hmm. So uh, no no, no, hating. In 1959, the Ford and Rockefeller Foundations... Established the International Rice Research Institute, which formalized the work of cataloging and researching and conserving and improving all of the wild and domesticated rices grown around the world. Wow. Yes, all of them. No big deal. No. No, no. big deal. Of course, farmers themselves have also been working on this, you know, I mean, like, like, A, forever. Um, uh, but, but B, especially with, uh, with the technologies that have been coming out over the past few decades, uh, for, from 1960 through 1980 alone, average rice yields rose by 40 percent on basically the same acreage of land due to just the cultivation of better hybrids and improvements to farming technologies.
1: Yes, and since rice is such an important crop for so many and it's really sensitive to climate change, scientists are working on breeding healthier rice, like higher iron, zinc content, and climate-ready rice, or rice that's resistant to soil toxicities like high salt content, cold, heat, drought, flood, things like that.
0: Uh, These generally aren't quite ready for widespread farming yet. Uh, One good example is golden rice, so-called for its yellow color from added genes that produce uh, beta-carotene, vitamin A, in it. And folks have been working on it for a couple decades, but it's been kind of mired in GMO debates and in various scientific difficulties.
1: Mm. And here's a question for you. Is there arsenic in my rice? What is there? I don't know. Oh, crap. Yeah. <laughs> i have never heard of this, but I have a friend who eats a lot of rice, and um, I overheard her talking about it, and I like interrupted the conversation and said, wait, what? Huh. Um, <laughs> so there are two types of arsenic, organic and inorganic, and this is in the chemistry terms, not in like the food label. Right, right. Yeah, no, no one is farming arsenic without using pes- <laughs> without using pes- modern pesticides. That's not... Yeah, that's not what's going on here. Yeah. The organic variety is found in plant and animal tissues and is less toxic than its inorganic counterpart, which you can find in dissolved water, rocks, or soil. Yeah. Both occur naturally in the wild, but the levels have been going up thanks to pollution. And because of the use of flooding and rice paddies... Arsenic can seep from the soil into the grain, and rice and rice products consistently are found to have higher levels of arsenic than other common grocery items, up to 10 to 20 times more than other cereal crops. Ooh. Yeah. Brown rice has higher levels than white rice, since most of the arsenic is found in the husk. Consumer Reports, the website, the whole entity. Dot com. Yes. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> they have a pretty good set of guidelines when it comes to this um, arsenic in rice, like mixing grain consumption, the recommended amount you should eat depending on certain factors, like whether or not you're a baby, huh. and a way of cooking it to mitigate the arsenic level, huh. which is basically you wash the rice before cooking, and this could remove anywhere from 10 to 28% of the arsenic, then boil it in more water than you're probably accustomed to, a 6 to 1 ratio, more like you're cooking pasta, um, and this can remove up to 60% of the arsenic. Caveat, though, this is only if the water doesn't have arsenic in it. Oh. Right. Uh-huh. Otherwise. Fair. Yeah, the arsenic level will go up. So <laughs> um, as long as you're not eating boatloads of rice, I wouldn't worry about it too much. But yeah. definitely check out the Consumer Report about it if rice is a pretty regular part of your diet, just to be informed. Sure. Yeah. And also, there's the rice theory. The rice theory. The rice theory? What is this, There's rice theory? Yes, there is. Uh, this is the name used to describe the observed cultural difference that a lot of us have probably heard about, wherein Americans or other Western countries are more likely to label themselves with words like friendly or energetic, whereas Asian countries, particularly um, people from rice provinces, will more often call themselves dependent on others or considerate. And the idea proposed here is that this difference might be more because of the differences of wheat farming and rice farming. Oh, wow. Yeah. Rice farming pre-technology is more difficult and requires more people working together and depending on each other than wheat farming does. And there's a lot of interesting studies here. Um, There's lower divorce rates and uh, less likely to turn in cheating peers in oh. rice provinces. Wow. Yeah. Um, when asked to draw themselves and their social networks, Americans typically draw themselves slightly larger than their friends. Like slightly. <laughs> okay. Whereas the Japanese will draw themselves slightly smaller. Huh. And in China, the same difference showed up in Chinese students. But um, Chinese students from wheat-growing areas drew themselves slightly larger than those from rice-growing areas who drew themselves slightly smaller. So uh, it was it was a, a fascinating study. Yep. There's a, well, there's multiple studies if you'd like to check it out. And um, they proposed that I guess weird is the it's an acronym for Western educated <laughs> industrialized rich democratic. And they were saying that the W should actually stand for wheat instead of Western. Who yeah. So that's that's a. Uh, Pretty bold and interesting claim. Yeah. All right. So what about cooking rice? Yeah. How do you cook it?
0: Get a rice cooker. Oh, Done. I agree so much to be st- I mean, it's it's
1: yeah. It changed my life. <laughs> I don't have one, but I should get one because I have terrible luck with rice. Yeah. I just I don't know. I think I have too many things going on and then You
0: forget about it and then all of a sudden it's burnt.
1: It's burnt. Yeah. Yeah. Also, we have a How Stuff Works article about how rice cookers work that involves something called fuzzy logic. Super cool. Look it up. Yeah. We'll
0: have to do a whole episode about not fuzzy logic, but, but about, <laughs> but about rice cookers. Yeah.
1: Yes. If you don't have a rice cooker, read the instructions on the package and be vigilant. Constant vigilance. Like <laughs> mad eye moody. Be mad eye moody with that rice. Yeah. And that, that's really it. And you can add things in there like garlic or bay leaves or. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You, you're. Internet people, you can go and <laughs> you can figure it out. We we believe in you.
0: We totally do, yes. <laughs> uh, speaking of being Internet people, so, scenario. Scenario. You've done something very silly.
1: Yes. And dropped your phone. Your much-loved and super expensive smartphone in the water. If you
0: take it out and you put it in rice, does that actually work?
1: Mm,
0: no. <laughs>
1: Probably not.
0: Oh, <laughs> <In> twenty. But... 20- <laughs> Have you ever done this? Have you tried this? Uh, I think I've recommended that other people
1: try it, and now <laughs> I feel bad. No. I mean, it's not going to hurt, it? <laughs> um, a 2015 study by a cell phone buyback company, they performed a series of tests on various drying agents, and they used um, uncooked white rice, as one of their drawing agents, and it placed last oh. in effectiveness when oh. compared to things like kitty litter, couscous, and instant rice. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. Silica gel worked to the best. That makes perfect sense. Except perhaps um, possibly leaving it out in open air, like taking it apart and leaving it out in open air, that might be even better than silica gel. But the results weren't airtight. Oh. <laughs> yes. But this oh. is just a little tip in case this ever happens to you, <laughs> I hope that it doesn't. But, you know. Yeah. Our, all of our fingers are crossed. Yeah. <laughs> Side note, rice and salt shakers keep salt from clumping. It doesn't keep it dry. Because I think a lot of people, that's one of the reasons they think that maybe it'll help dry out their phone. Anyway.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Speaking of rice myths.
1: Yeah. Throwing rice at weddings won't kill birds. They eat rice. But uh, it still might not be the best idea. I, a lot of things I read said just don't do it. It's not going to kill the birds, but, but throw a rose petals or whatever. Yeah. I don't know.
0: Uh, and I suppose it's something like a myth that rice is all cheap, but some varieties and brands can be very, very expensive, particularly in countries like Japan and Singapore. As of 2016, according to the Guinness Book of Records, the world's most famous rice was selling for $109 per kilo. That's about 240 bucks a pound. Oof. And so what, you may ask, is the difference between this and your, like, dollar a pound grocery store brand? Um, the company claims it has a superior flavor and texture based on a few factors. You've got breeding. They select award-winning grains from around Japan. Those grains are aged for a bit, and then there's the milling and polishing technologies that they use. Uh, like I said at the top of the show, it is a whole industry, and people get very particular about the types of rice that they use for different dishes and in different social circumstances. Uh, premium rice is absolutely a status signifier.
1: It Sounds like there's rice sommeliers out there just... Oh, I bet there are. I bet there are. Oh.
0: Whew. So, uh, so yeah, that's that's our whirlwind tour of rice.
1: Yeah, it was a lot. I can imagine that maybe you're feeling a little overwhelmed just listening to it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, and Like I said, in the the episode following this, there will be even more Rice Facts. So if you didn't get enough. There's always more Rice Facts. There's always more. And we will do follow-up
0: episodes. Yeah. I think we just gave ourselves, like, so much homework. We really did. Okay.
1: Uh, But now
0: this brings us to Listener Mail.
1: Listener Mail. Yes. Kim wrote in response to our cinnamon episode, Back when we were in college and just dating my husband, who does not cook, decided that his signature dish would be blackened cinnamon chicken, which I was all for being quite fond of cinnamon. Understatement. (laughs) For a couple of years, this was his I'm going to make dinner dish, (laughs) until one evening, it all went wrong. Oh, no. At this point, we were married and invited another married couple over for Sam's signature dish. When the chicken was already cooking in the pan, he decided that he underdid it on the seasonings and tried to add some. When the raw cinnamon hit the hot pan, it created what could only be described as a stinging gas cloud. (laughs) We had to evacuate into the yard while letting the house air out completely. Sadly, he has been hesitant to give it another go, but we joke about it from time to time. (laughs) Oh, no. I have to say that if there was a stinging gas cloud of cinnamon created by my signature dish... I might back off of it. I might... Be hesitant to return as well. I might retire that one. Yeah. Yeah. Too bad, though. Yeah. Oh, it sounds
0: delicious. (laughs) Uh, Rebecca wrote in, um, My mom was taught the venerable art of butter sculpting by her great aunts, and she has taught her own progeny. We're not sure if it's actually a Polish tradition or just my family being strange, but Poles often make cakes in the shape of a lamb or, or little lambs made out of sugar to eat, so there is some precedence there. We sculpt the butter lamb on Good Friday, and on Holy Saturday, we, along with other Polish families in our town, go to church and have an entire basket of Easter food blessed for the next day's meal, a Polish sausage, decorated eggs, salt, bread, and of course, our lamb. We sculpt the lamb by taking a cold, but not too cold, block of butter and cutting a series of slices off of it. Uh, When we have the desired shape, we push the slices through a sieve and then reapply the now fluffy wool back onto the lamb. Every year, the lamb gets a name, which usually reflects how it looks. Uh, there was the year that the tail was off, so we named him Stubbs. Or the year that he had his hip jutting out a little bit more, so we named him Bayonce. <laughs> oh. uh, and yes, butter or lamb-related puns often feature in the names.
1: That makes us so happy.
0: That is so just completely, like,
1: both of us are gritting. Yeah. And she sent pictures, and they
0: were uh, amazing.
1: Yes. Yes. so your sculpture. Oh. It's great. Huh. So great. Yeah. Um. Thanks to both of them for writing in. If you would like to write us, you can do so. Our email is foodstuff at howstuffworks.com.
0: We are also on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at foodstuff. HSW stands for How Stuff Works. Uh, we're also on Instagram at foodstuff. Big shout out to our new shiny producer. He's not too shiny. He's he's more more like a regular uh, regular regular sheen. Regular sheen. Yeah. Uh, Dylan Fagan. And uh, we hope to hear from you guys, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way.
1: This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth.
2: Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.
3: As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor!
4: Gene was wooded!
3: But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze Americano! Gene! Huh? Oh! Run!